encountered you? Well, it wasn't cops, it was Columbia guards. Oh, okay. In fact, we were responsible for, for them at Columbia finally putting big gates on the windows so you couldn't break in. We know that security was increased solely because of us. And we, we would run from these guards and occasionally you get caught. And as they were about to apprehend you, the other guys would say, George, you do the talking. You do the talking. Because I was a little glib. I was very glib. And I would, uh, we would make up things, you know, tell them anything. Because we knew they had no authority, basically. Right, they weren't real cops. No. They for Columbia. You know, and you just sort of say what we, One time, three guys got caught together. This is a, not apocryphal. This really happened, but I wasn't there. We had three kids in the neighborhood. There were hundreds of children. We had three children whose actual names were Johnny Brown, Bill Smith, and Tommy Jones. That was really their names. You're and they, they, they were all from 122nd. Occasionally, they were together. They were caught by policemen in uh, sneaking into a movie, and the cop was trying to scare them. Uh, what's the name here, you know? And the first one gives his name, whichever the order was, Johnny Brown, Johnny Brown, huh? okay, yeah, Johnny Brown. What about you, uh, Bill Smith? Uh, Bill Smith, I don't know what you think of crazy. You know, Tommy Jones, boom, right in the head. Tommy Jones, one step too far. You know, Anthony Pagliosi would have been fine. Fine, but not Tommy Jones. Got... And what was your introduction to comedy? When were you first aware as a kid that there were people who could make folks laugh? Well, uh, that came because I was a radio child. The, what, the end of the golden age of radio. Me too, kid. Where, yeah, and it was wonderful. And I was, a, I was more or less a lonely kid because I had time on my hands. I loved it. I loved the solitude, the lack of supervision. But there's a loneliness involved, and the radio became my extended family. And the comedians always interested me. Another kid upstairs had some Spike Jones records. And then going to the movies, I would see Danny Kaye, mm -hmm. Bob Hope, these, these guys who were funny in the movies. And that became my dream. I remember listening to comedy on the radio as a boy. You yeah. know, in a darkened room. Phil yeah. McGee and Molly would come on, oh, and Bob Hope would come on. Yeah. And you'd laugh at these programs, Burns and Allen, yeah. Jack Benny. They were terribly funny. Terribly. And it was another interesting thing that happened to me. Because I didn't really have a family life, uh, I would listen to Fib and McGee and A Date with Judy, Meet Carlos Archer, these little things set in the Midwest where they had porches and they had an upstairs and a bedroom. Henry upstairs. Aldrich. Yes, Henry. Henry Aldrich. Tommy Mother. Mother. Ezra Stone. And, and so, <clears throat> good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Today is the official birthday of Mr. George Carlin. Born 85 years ago And of course That is him sitting with the late Tom Snyder Who was also born On May 12, 1936 He would have been 86 Two extraordinary men I, I loved Tom Snyder's Late Late Show I loved the conversations I loved. I remember he did an interview With Liza Minnelli And then he did an interview with Oh God, Shelley Winters And then George Carlin and Gladys Knight and Queen Latifah. His interviews were really great. And of course, we celebrate George Carlin. Oh, well, wait. There is someone else, though, who was born on this day <laughs> a long time ago. What do you mean, a long time ago, bitch? I was born 115 years ago. Ladies and gentlemen, Catherine Hepburn. You don't have to make an introduction. They know who the hell I am. Oh, I'm sorry, Miss Hepburn. And yes, TCM was playing some of your movies today. Some? Why not the whole process? Miss Hepburn, what was your favorite movie? I would have to say the ones with Spencer. You, but, but but what about 
the line. I love the line in winter. Did you love that? That I love the line in winter. Yes, thank you for jogging my memory. I'm 115 and dead. The line in winter really was my friend. Peter O'Toole, who said, Kate, let's do this. And I said, do it before I die. Because at that time I was in, well, almost, I was 60. Were you, were you flabbergasted that you won an Oscar back to back? I mean, one for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and one for The Lion in Winter. I feel that the, 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 the Guess Who's Coming to Dinner one was for Spencer too. The Lion in Winter, I, I, the fact that it was a tie and I, of course, was called first and Miss Streisand was called second. You see, so yes, and of course that moment where in nineteen was it seventy four seventy five you actually went, but you you were presenting an award. Yes, it, it, it's so long ago. I am the perfect example of a person who can wait forty one years to be unselfish. Now, today you also celebrated birthday along with George Carlin and, and Tom Snyder. What are your thoughts on them? Tom Snyder, I never got to sit down with him. Interesting interviewer. I enjoyed his interviews. George Carlin, was he liked to challenge the State of the Union. And I respect that. The, the language was a little filthy, but I respected Mr. George Garlin. Did you ever meet him? No. But I am told that his mother, Mary Carlin, was a fan. Thank you, Miss Hepburn. You son of a you-know-what. I'm only here because you accidentally seance me. And you mentioned two men on my birthday, and I was here first. Okay. Please, please tell the audience when you were born. I was born May 12, 1907. Where did you die? (laughs) June 29th, 2003. Good riddance. And people would often ask... If you had Parkinson's. Let's not go that way. They don't need to know everything. And maybe. But my head just shook. Now in the afterlife it doesn't shake. It's just there. And how do you like the afterlife? (laughs) Wouldn't you like to know? I'm not telling you. (laughs) This, I feel sucker punch. This is like when you asked Barbara Walters about what kind of a tree she wanted to be. No, she asked me what kind of a tree I wanted to be. And I said, everybody wants to be an oak tree. But then she also asked that really sexist question, if you had a skirt. Barbara was, Barbara Walters was an interesting person. 
if you notice, she didn't always interview me. Diane Sawyer would do it. I think the skirt issue was kind of a form of bitchery on her part. Asking me because everyone was like, oh, Hepburn wears pants. So are you aware that people now that you're dead have said that you were a big lesbian? That's none of their business. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't buy it because, I mean, you and Spencer. Well, yes, let's let's just keep it there. The American public doesn't need to know about my personal life. Thank you, Miss Hepburn. And now you can return to eulogizing those men, Colin and Snyder. Thank you. At one time when I was about 18, 17, I guess, I was, I was leaving Denver. I was in the Air Force, and I hitchhiked home from Denver to New York. And I went through Decatur, Illinois, and Springfield, Illinois, in the late afternoon in May. This was like 5, 5.30 mm-hmm. in May. Wonderful time of the year and day. And, and I found myself with this very at-home feeling. I, for some reason, here's a city kid from Manhattan. Sure, sure. And I just was so attracted and so charmed by something. I never figured it out at the time. And later I realized... These were the places I heard about. These were the places on the radio. On the radio. And that I saw in the Andy Hardy movies or the, the different movies. And it was just this, isn't that an odd thing to, to, that that would happen to you? Yeah, it is. You it know, is. and you say, gee, this feels good and, and not know why. And, and I think it was that. It was like going home to this place I inhabited when I was seven and eight years old. Does your work ever get tiring to you? Do you ever think about no. packing it in Georgia? No. And when people ask me that, although I don't really put myself in his category, I say, well, that's like saying to Picasso, when are you going to put these brushes down, Pablo, and get a real job or whatever, or take it easy and go sailing? (laughs) It's what I do. It's how I am in the world, you know, and it is my art. So I assume some form or other. I mean, I'm happy to get to the book now. For 40 years, I found I was using the least efficient means of communicating with people. I travel to where they live and talk to them. Right, right. Not efficient. This is much better. Send it out in the truck. Well, except that now, <clears throat> with the book, you have got to go to all these places, yeah. and I'm sure you've been on a tour around yeah. the country yeah, that's why to I'm promote little... this book and yeah. make people aware of it. Huh? Right, I'm, and I'm a little tired from that. Those are brutal schedules. Because in order to start at 6.30 or 7 in the morning with some radio program, you have to fly to that city the night before. Right. And there's very little chance. I love eight hours sleep. I'm, I'm one of these people, I'm never tired. I never get tired. I'm okay for a long time, and then I go to sleep. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Now I'm tired. It's kind of nice. Like, what was your day like today? What have you done today? For, today for I started with uh, KABC Radio with Minyard and... Uh, Tilden. And Tilden, my friend. Yeah, my friend Peter Tilden. And I went on from there to uh, uh, KTLA Morning News. I went back to that same building for KLOS-FM, and it's been like that, and a print interview and another TV, and, and politically incorrect, and I'm ending it here, and if I fall asleep, fine. <laughs> You're doing remarkably well. I was going to mention this to you later. Uh, you know, I've seen your work, and you get on the, the, the stage or on, on the HBO specials that you do, and you rant and you rave and you knock this and you knock that and you swear and you curse and you f- and you fume. You were married to the same woman for 36 years. Mm-hmm. Your, your, your daughter lives right around the corner from your house almost. If, uh, you're, you're a square in, in well, your personal life. You, yeah. I'm, well, my, my I mean, when we finish here tonight, you're going to go home and put your jammies on and go to bed. I'm getting on a plane to go to New York. Oh, you're kidding. Oh. But I would normally do the yeah. other. I would normally have those jammies on. Um, the thing I like about this book is that it represents all three parts of me from the stage. 
there's a there's a sort of an innocence and a whimsical kind of a I, th I think of it as a sweetness a kind of childlike mm -hmm. wonder that's in there there's the anger and the stridency those things are represented and then there's the English language stuff which really I love so much and and those things it's a it's a good balance it's a good representation yeah, yeah, yeah. we're with George Carlin the toll-free is up and running at 1-800-952-2788 the book is called brain droppings and we'll be right back after this break And so that's George Carlin talking to Tom Schneider. And if you're just joining us, the reason why I have that interview playing is because they were both born on the same day, as was Catherine Hepburn. So it's a it's an interest it's an interesting day. You know what I realized? Um, I was I was watching Shanghai Express, which has of course. Marlena Dietrich and I realized you know last year I did a show about you know she's been dead a long time um, but then I, I forgot that uh, that anniversary came up she's been dead for 30 years and I think her daughter her daughter has outlived her you know Maria Riva uh, was the daughter of Marlena Dietrich and Marlena Dietrich's husband, Rudy. I, th I think they remained married, even though they were separated and all that other stuff. But, um, and so right after Marlena Dietrich died, she didn't write like a mommy dearest, but she wrote, she wrote a tell all. She wrote a tell all about her mother, because her mother was. A very complicated person because you know she was this glamorous movie star and she was Dietrich I mean you didn't even have to say Marlena all you had to say was Dietrich and people knew and um, yeah so in May, May is an interesting time and this time next week get ready because it's going to be the premiere of George Carlin um, the American Dream the documentary it had its premiere recently uh, you know an actual movie premiere and then it will premiere on HBO on May 20th so what we're really doing is just we're, get, we're getting ready I mentioned to someone we were talking about Carlin and I said I am aware that you can't mention Carlin without mentioning Pryor. You just can't. Because you can't just say that George Carlin was the greatest. Because then you have also most definitely need to mention Pryor. Because they're bookends. They're bookends. They were both so influential. They were both of the counterculture. They represented their time. And they and they knew one another. They knew one another. And they knew and how the humor really just pushed the boundaries. If you think of what Richard Pryor... You think of all the people that Richard Pryor pissed off. You think of all the people that George Carlin pissed off. And I know that um, there was an interview a couple years ago where the interviewer was interviewing... Um, 
Kitty uh, Kitty Bruce, Lenny Bruce's daughter, Rain Pryor, Richard Pryor's daughter, and Kelly Carlin McCall, George Carlin's daughter, and how they have this commonality. They are they are the three daughters of these very influential men. And Kitty um, Bruce is aware that her father paid a big price. Her father paid a big price for his humor and for his honesty. And in Kelly Carlin's book, A Carlin Home Companion, there's a funny story, I think, where they talk about George was uh, watching Lenny Bruce and Lenny Bruce gets arrested and then George wants to get arrested too and Lenny Bruce looks at him and says what the fuck is wrong with you what are you a schmuck and he's calling him a schmuck <laughs> because Lenny Lenny Bruce getting arrested it broke him it broke him and so but you you know people have often talked about what he the sacrifices that he made so that everyone can say whatever they want on the stage. And that leads to, you know, George Carlin saying those seven words. And he didn't, and he, you know, the, the public calls them the seven dirty words. But he just called them the seven words. Because he didn't think they were dirty at all. But on television and on radio, except on cable, they're considered dirty. And, but yeah, the, the influence of George Carlin is, is felt. I think it will for it. I think the world that we live in of memes, I was talking about this with someone. We're talking about the power of memes and, you know, where it comes to like a TV show like with the Mandalorian, that's really how I got into the Mandalorian. I'm not kidding you. Were the memes, and then my nephew, I asked him about it, and he told me, and I went, "Oh, okay, cool, cool." So you know, there's that. There's that. Um, but yeah, when we when we learn all of these different things, things about all these artists and their sacrifices and. It's, it's a pretty crazy world. It's a crazy world. And um, the fact that George Carlin has been dead since 2008. And he really has another life because of the memes. The memes have just uh, continued. And I think that's amazing. That's amazing that. The generation that wasn't here when he was alive knows about him through the memes. Okay. So yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's like Tupac. I know. You're thinking, what the fuck? You're gonna compare him to Tupac? Listen to me. I used to work in this one job and I was working with all these twenty somethings, and they were all just getting into Tupac. And Biggie. And I thought it was so funny. And one of them, he was going on like, oh, yeah, I'm just getting into Tupac. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then I looked at him and, and they were just like, oh, that's cold, bro. This is a long time ago. And I said, hey, 
I remember when Tupac was alive. And they just looked at me like, oh, shit. I said, yeah. When he used to get on TV with iced tea and they do a duet. But then I kept to myself the fact that I've always felt that he may not be dead. So, I mean, but that's like I said, that's my opinion and I'm sticking to it. Is Tupac dead? I don't know. What do you think? I'd like to ask people. But back to George Carlin. Um, it's it's crazy. It's crazy that we live in a world where memes keep someone alive way past um, their own expectancy. He's he's been he's been gone since two thousand eight, and we're still revering him. And talking about him, talking about his humor, talking about things that he made and he did, and yeah, it's 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 a cra- it's a crazy experience. It's a good experience. It's an American experience. I thought I'd go there with that, and um. Yeah. I mean, I think we all kind of wonder what would have happened had he lived. What what would he have made of the Obama administration? We all we, I think we all know what he would have made of of Trump. <laughs> it, it, you know, you you can't um it's <laughs> you you have to chuckle about that one cuz you're thinking why so that's the Dr. Zeus film podcast for you it really is as always unpleasant dreams Mm -hmm.